Charlene. In these 20-minute podcasts, I talk with memoir writers about their books, their lives, and their writing process. Sharing like this helps us all connect. As we listen, we learn about the world through the eyes of others. Their stories help us expand our views and empathize more deeply with each other. It's my pleasure now to invite you to listen in to this episode of Life Story on Soul Sciences. Listeners, I'm back again today with the entertaining, effervescent Lara Lillibridge. Lara, as you may know, has written a quite serious but very provocative and insightful book called Girlish about her being raised by two lesbians who were married in all the senses of it, one of whom was bipolar. Lara is also the co-editor of a work of anthologies of different women's voices called Feminine Rising, Voices of Power and Invisibility. And Lara has now just released her third publication called Mama, Mama, Only Mama. And it is a very different tone and voice. Welcome back to the show, Lara. Thank you so much for having me. Lara, how is it going with this publication, Mama, Mama, Only Mama? Please remind our listeners of the content and tell us how the readings and publication are going. So Mama, Mama, Only Mama is my second memoir, and it traces the end of my marriage and my six years as a single parent, and then moving into the family blunder with my significant other, who I call Sig O in the book. It is written like a diary with blogs and recipes tucked between the pages, and to me, it's, it's the book of my heart. It is fun and loving, and it's just been a, a wonderful experience being able to travel and, and talk to people about it. Where did you start out to start talking to people and traveling around? How did that come to be? In terms of like a book tour, because I had made connections through my release of Girlish, I contacted people that... I had in, had the privilege to get to know the first time around and ask them if they were interested. But these were fans of your book or were these publishers and people who do this professionally, bookstore owners, etc.? So publishing the book, I had a two-book contract. Certainly they had to approve it, but I didn't have to go out and hunt down a new publisher. So that part was easy. But then in terms of book events, I contacted the bookstores that I had spoke to before and the radio station that had me on last year and the local library and things like that. So you do a lot of your own footwork in order to get the publication out to the audiences. Is that correct? Other than a few big headlining authors, most of us do have to do the footwork ourselves. Um, you have to do social media and marketing and you know, kind of learn on the fly, the business end. But I find the business end to be interesting. And I've enjoyed that aspect. 
Oh, that's lovely. And we need to hear more about that. What is it that you find interesting and upbeat about it? Well, if you look at it as you're selling a product and not selling your soul, it's a little bit easier, right? But there's so much to learn. And if you have to do it, you might as well become interested in it. I look at my ads that I run and see what words do people respond to? Do they like a photograph of a baby more than a photograph of a flower? And I imagine people learn these things in business school, but it's just been interesting to get to see the data and how it works. And of course, the biggest joy is when you get to read reviews by actual readers online. So sources like Goodreads or BookBub, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all list reviews. And, you know, when the book first comes out and you're filled with terror, it's really reassuring to get to go and see what the average person who doesn't know you actually thinks of your work. Those are some really interesting insights for those of us who are still looking into how we market the best way. I like the attitude you bring to it, that it's an adventure, that there are things to learn, that it can be exciting, it can be um, knowledge base, so you expand your knowledge base. Did you have a group of writers that you worked with? I belong to a collective called Moving Forwards that's a group of memoirists, and we all try and... and buoy each other up and support each other and celebrate each other. And then we also try to share our knowledge on emerging writers who want advice or, or want to know an inside look as to how this process works. And that's something that I have found tremendously helpful in the anxiety-ridden months leading up to the release. Yes, I can certainly relate. I belong to a group called the Writers community of York region. And recently, the wonderful people who organized this uh, group had nine or 10 of us go to a Chapters Indigo bookstore. It's a chain, of course. And we all set up on the same day so that what it was was kind of a takeover by these local authors. And we got to hang out together and get to know each other a bit more. And we got to speak to people as they come in. And we got to exchange between the authors and uh, myself, how best to approach people. There was a whole layer of learning and learning and learning that I thought found quite joyful. And we sold, I thought, quite a few books for a day uh, when you don't always think you're going to sell anything. Certainly, you never know going in. You know, one thing that I learned, I, I read a piece and I wish I remember who wrote it or where it was posted, but someone wrote about having a book signing that no one came to and how it was just them and the one person behind the desk and how they coped with it. And reading that helped me frame thinking about book events. So I, I went to a book event recently and there weren't any customers that came, but I got to sit down with the bookstore owner and just talk about books for an hour. And that was wonderful. It was very exciting for me to find out how do they get authors, what book events work best for them. Um, and all of this is a learning experience. As the market is changing, it's a learning experience, I think, for all writers and for bookstore owners. And when someone is gracious enough to share the experience of the other side of the desk with me, I'm incredibly grateful for it. 
Again, I really love your attitude. It has to do with understanding your perspective as well. It may turn out and it may not turn out, but let me commend that. That is the attitude that is really helpful as we go into these different experiences. I had the opportunity to work as a performance poet with a partner of mine, Linda Stitt, who is an amazing poet, very funny, extremely witty, and very insightful. She's about 20 years my senior, so that puts her at about 87 years old right now. Uh, she's still writing, and when we would go out together, we would be giggling and laughing as we got in my car. I always drove us, which was great, greatly uh, brave on her part to let me, because I'm terrible with directions. <laughs> she finally bought me a little GPS to stick in my car. It didn't help. But uh, we would go, and I'd say, well, what if nobody shows up, Linda? And she said, well, sure, we'll read to each other. And so our commitment was we were going out to read together. And that has given me, again, a different sensibility about how to approach readings. It's really important that people hear about this and understand that that's just part of the story. That's just. So I was so grateful that someone had written about it. Um, and I read this piece before Girlish came out. And so that I knew it wasn't personal. Exactly. You know, we they, they wrote in this piece, we have this idea that we're going to go to this bookstore and like a bus is going to pull out in front just loaded with fans and reviewers and, and people from the New York Times just dying to hear our words. And that's not the current landscape. Um, there's a lot of things out there yeah. for people to do. And Yeah, this is not J.D. Salinger time. Right. That was basically right. what happened when he broke into fame was everybody chased him everywhere and maybe we can be grateful that that isn't happening from one point of view and you know the other side of it is i am incredibly lucky to have several books published and it's a dream that you know i had since i was a little girl and just to have my name on a book is more than i ever thought i would get and I might as well enjoy the ride that I have instead of being envious of the ride I don't have. Well, I think that is, again, a very, very important from the heart kind of understanding and one that I, I feel myself to be connected to, which is that when I, and I do this relatively often to help myself navigate in life because I'm helpless at directions geographically, I'm helpless at direction in terms of my life. But what I learned to do was cast my mind ahead to when I'm on, if I get the opportunity to be on my deathbed, revisiting what I've done or haven't done. And I did it with a visualization and I was very clear about the people I want around me, but I could also see these books. And I felt sad if I didn't have those books. So I know that the writing of the books is what matters. And then whatever I can do to spread those books is great. It's a great thing, but again, through this uh, business with per performance poetry, I realized after a while, you have the great joy of the experience, you get the war stories, and that's about it. You, you may not, you never know whose life you're changing with just one reader. That's yes. the other side of that, is you don't know who you are uplifting at exactly the right moment. I can imagine a woman taking your book and opening it to a certain page and going, okay, I can get through today. That would just, I mean, that to me is why I wrote the book. Exactly, you know? exactly. And I just know that that is going to be true for anyone who does open the book, but I know for sure you can believe that that is going to happen. So few writers have bothered with the truth about what it's like to be a single mother. 
I feel like there's a stigma against writing when you have children. First of all, when you have children in society, at least in the United States, you know, you're not supposed to have your own hopes and dreams and ambitions anymore. You're supposed to be a mother and, and dedicated to your children 100%. And as a single mother, I got some flack for that. Like, how could I break up my family's home? So while 32%-ish of families in the United States are headed by a single parent, we still can feel very invisible. And at my son's last school, they would have this auction every year. And they would say, husbands, grab your wallets. Wives, get your checkbooks. And my ex-husband and I, we always sat together at these things. We looked at each other and said, guess they don't need our money. Um, and I've always fought for inclusive language. I've always tried to advocate for single parents to be more visible. So writing about single parenting, first of all, how can you write about your children? And is it ethical to write about children? But there's also the people who think that single parents shouldn't be held up as equally valid. Like, how can you write about your life as if you're normal, as if this is an acceptable choice? And from the beginning, I told the teachers at school, we are a two-house family. We are not a broken family. I love and that. I love certain, that. A two-house family. I love that, Laura. And certainly, is it the ideal? No. But when you marry the wrong person, there are no easy answers. There's only the answer you can live with. And some people choose to stay in marriages, and some people choose to leave. But it's not like I was choosing between, you know, happy, leave it to beaver family or being a single mother. It, it's never that simple or that black and white. I did want to go back to writing as a mother because that's something that I think is important to talk about. And that is that one of the big themes of this book is that when you're a mother, you're still a woman. You're still a person. I was so, so grateful to hear you talk about this and about especially about saying that mothers are supposed to have no sexuality. Right. And, you know, we are still women and we still have needs. We have sexual needs. We have needs for love. We have needs to create art. We have needs to feel useful in the world. Staying home with children is incredibly hard. It's hard work in terms of, of dealing with little children that are trying to destroy the house. But it's also hard in terms of no human contact yes. and no interesting thoughts of just watching children's programming and, and, and no scarring news reports or, or anything like that. And it's very isolating. And I think it doesn't have to be. I would like to see people opening up more into communities and to the village, helping raise the family. And the internet does allow us to do that. Um, in terms of you see forums on Facebook and, and other bulletin boards for parents, but also literature has always done that historically. A book is something that you can turn to at, at two in the morning or at five o'clock in the morning or, or whenever when you just kind of need a hug and you need to feel like you're not alone. Extremely important points. The isolation of being a single parent 
the expectation of the culture, if you are a single parent, I feel very clearly that we still judge and blame women for Always. any kind of, <laughs> yeah, and for any kind of failure, God forbid, uh, goddess forbid, for the marriage. And it seems like that's how people see that rather than, you know, my particular perception is that some relationships are about a very powerful gene selection. We marry that person not knowing that they are going to provide exactly the kind of gene pool that's going to help us and have good babies, big babies, strong babies, but that doesn't mean we can get along with them. It's all brand new in our evolution and in our culture to accept the fact that just because the gene pool wants it doesn't mean that we have to build a culture on it. So having more fluidity around relationships. That's wonderful. One thing I've always said when people ask me about my divorce is I say he was a good father, but not the right man for me. Exactly. Exactly. And someone can be both. They yes. don't have to be the villain in your story. You can accept what they can provide and realize that they are not going to be able to provide everything. I think that's absolutely true. And I was so aware of how you worded that at the beginning of the book when you did write about that transition from being in the couple, the married couple with the two kids, and the short and succinct but very direct way you have of talking about the turmoil internally to make the decision. So, Laura, once again, unfortunately, we're at the end of the program. Thank you for such a powerful and insightful discussion. I so love speaking with you. Thanks so much for having me back. Well, we'll look forward. What are you writing now? Do you have any ideas for what's next? Yes, actually. I am working on a middle grade novel, which is a complete departure, but my kids were both so interested in my memoirs, which were not safe for children. And so I wrote a book, or I'm working on a book just for them. And I read it to them at night and they give me their feedback and they help me with where the plot is, is slowing too much. And um, it's really been just delightful. What an extraordinarily wonderful way to bring your, your boys into your writing world and meld those two things. Terrific. Thank you again, Lara. And I will be watching for that and we'll be in touch soon to have you back on the program. Thank you so much. Take good care. That's it. That's all for today. Many thanks to Kevin McLeod for that lovely music, Carefree. And many thanks to all of you who make these podcasts possible. Remember, take good care of each other. Bye for now.